Welcome to the Post-Acute Point of View podcast, our discussion hub for healthcare technology in the out-of-hospital space. Here, we talk about the latest news and views on trends and innovations that can impact the way post-acute care providers work. We'll also dive into how technology can make a difference in today's changing healthcare landscape for home and facility-based workers and the people they care for. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon or good morning, depending on what part of the country you're from. We're very excited to discuss three strategies to leverage data for improved outcomes in a resource-constrained environment. I know we're all dealing with that today, so looking forward to digging in on this. I'd like to introduce our speakers. So first, I'd like to introduce Rob Stoltz. He's a longtime veteran of our industry. He has experience both with EMRs, care transitions, patient engagement, predictive analytics, and interoperability. As the Senior Director for Business Development and Strategic Initiatives at Matrix Care, he focuses on our partnerships and leveraging the strengths of other companies to build best-in-breed initiatives within the technologies offered into the market. I'd also like to introduce Elliot from Metalogix. He drives Metalogix's mission and is responsible for working with their board of directors to evolve all of their goals, employees, teams, and companies' mission as they move through the challenges of our industry. He does admire companies' data, outcomes, impact care delivery, and empower home health and hospice to make better patient care decisions. So both of these guys are very dedicated to the home and hospice industry and really looking forward to their expertise as we drive into the topic. Our objectives today are to explore how machine learning enhances utilization management and hospitalization prevention, identifying workflows resulting from key analytics that lead to action, and then discussing ideas to effectively automate, including communications and actions for patients, staff, and the families impacted. So without further ado, I'd like to turn it over to Elliot to drive us through the first part of the presentation. Elliot? Sure. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you, Rob. Appreciate the opportunity to participate and this with you guys. My name, as Melissa said, is Ellie Wood. I work with Metalogix. We're a machine learning company. So I'm here to talk with everyone, obviously about the machine learning component of these three strategies, as well as some of the proactive care pieces and how to incorporate it into clinical workflow. But the other thing, Rob and I were chatting before for this, we're going to use specific examples of our products in the context of the discussion. This is not intended to be a sales presentation. It's intended to be a best practices presentation, but because what Rob and I know are our products, we will obviously be talking about those so we can just share our experiences with those. But hopefully everybody will find these informative, not just about the products that we're working with today, but how you can think about working with technology more broadly as we're kind of navigating working with constrained resources in our industry. Where we will start here is just the basic. What is machine learning and how do we think about that? And in the industry, how is it being kind of like applied today? What I will share is when we came into the space 10 years ago, and when we would talk about analytics, there was really kind of this sense of mystery around, hey, if you're talking about predictive modeling, like what is that really? And how is that different than benchmarking or the business intelligence that that I have access to or my quality reporting? I think 10 years later, the world in general is much more informed. You have massive kind of like evolution in the space. Most of you probably heard of chat GPT and different types of technologies that are coming 
into the market. There's just from the world's perspective, a lot more awareness around what this type of technology is. But for the purposes of this discussion, I thought it'd be good to level set. So when we're talking about business intelligence, it is primarily looking at the data that you've collected or the data that your vendors have collected about your business and about other businesses, and then benchmarking those historically to tell us something about what has happened. Versus when we're talking about predictive modeling and data science and machine learning, there are a lot of utilities for that type of capability. But in large part, what we are trying to do is predict something that will happen in the future. So we're obviously using the data that we've collected in the past in order to do that, but we are trying to predict an event that will happen in the future. In this case, what we're trying to predict, and we'll talk a little bit about this, is the the ability to predict rehospitalization. And so taking into account all of the factors that you are collecting and that you're inputting in your EMR, and then leveraging, you know, at this point, very contemporary technology in order to look at all the different factors of a patient, what conditions they're presenting with, what impairments they have, their trajectory over the course of the episode, and then predict a likelihood to hospitalize in the future. The key difference here and what we'll talk about is how do you take the knowledge of that patient and their likelihood to hospitalize um, and then incorporate it into some type of clinical workflow so that you can create value with that information. So a little bit about how that's done. What I'll share is 10 years ago, we were primarily working with the standardized structured data sets that were in the electronic medical record. So home health, really all post-acute spaces, but home health and the OASIS. The OASIS is a very rich data set for creating these models and predicting stuff. And what I will share is that over time, the evolution of a lot of these technologies has allowed us to take in even more information, specifically things like the comprehensive assessment that's taking place at the visit, that first visit, but maybe more importantly, all of the unstructured data that your clinicians are capturing at every visit. And now incorporating that unstructured data into a predictive model as well. And that is a significant evolution, even just from a technological standpoint over the course of the, of the last 10 years. And so technologies have changed a lot. We've talked about that. But then the other thing that that allows us to do or, or companies like Metalogics to do are not only predict at a given point in time what that patient's risk for hospitalization is, but how that has changed over the course of the episode and over the course of that patient staying in home health so that you not only can understand the state of that patient at that point in time, but you also get to see, okay, what is the trend of this patient? Did they start at very high risk and are they trending towards low risk? Did they start towards low risk and they're trending in the wrong direction? Are there significant changes in condition for this patient relative to to hospitalization risk? And what do we need to know about that? And so the ability for the technology to be dynamic is, is very important. And so obviously it's great if you can predict these things, but the question is, okay, well, can you predict these things with any accuracy? Is the model any good? And so if you're going to be incorporating predictive modeling, or if you're incorporating different types of machine learning into your, into your clinical practice, 
as I said before, we want to give you guys best practices for how to work with your vendors. You should be asking your vendor questions about the, about their predictive model. And, and when they say that a patient is very high risk, what does that mean? When they say that a patient is high risk, how accurate is that? Because what you're trying to understand with the predictive model, look, most people who are coming into home health are much higher risk than the average American, right? Just because of who that patient is, their age, again, amount of those patients have been to the hospital, they're leaving the hospital, they're going home. So relative to most of us on this call, these patients are, are high risk. The question is, how risky are they in comparison to one another? And what does that mean for you as a home health agency and how you should be thinking about deploying your resources in order to manage that risk and do what you can in order to keep the patient in home and, and out of the hospital? And so again, we want to talk to you guys about best practices. So the predictive modeling and machine learning is a core competency that Metalogix has, but whether you're talking about Metalogix or whether you're talking about any technology partner, these are things, and these are areas that I would really recommend that the audience expect from your technology partners. So especially in today's day and age and everything that's happening with the proposed rule, labor shortage. It is not feasible anymore for the industry to take on technology products or, or, or other initiatives that don't work, quite frankly. And so our point of view is these are, these are parts of the partnership that should exist between a vendor and a provider customer. And the technology vendor should bear some responsibility to bringing these things to you so that you aren't just stuck with a piece of technology that sits on a shelf that you're paying for that doesn't get used and that you don't create value with. And so these are three areas that we focus on as a part of our implementations. And quite frankly, areas that in addition to predictive modeling and the front end of the application that a clinician is using, the administrative capabilities that an organization should have. And again, that you should be expecting from all of your technology partners. So best practices, we'll talk a little bit about that expertise to support adoption, and a plan to realize return on investment. So I covered some of this, but especially as you're talking about best practices, what are they? And how will that impact my organization? As we're talking through like where customers are today and where we believe customers could get in terms of relevant targets, a frequent question that we get, um, I had this question asked me yesterday by a customer is, can you help me understand if we're talking about, let's say, rehospitalization rate, and we want to try to get it from 20% to 17%, how many of your customers have been able to do that? What's the likelihood that I'm able to get to an, an average case of improvement or a conservative case of improvement or even a really aggressive case of improvement? We provide all of that to our customers to give them some range of understanding of what improvement could look like. How should we adopt these practices to impact patient care? I'll talk about that in more depth here in a minute. Who should be using the technology and when? Talk about that. What does success look like and how do we measure it? And then relative to that success, often the success that we're tracking is our specific KPIs that I'll show dashboard here in just a second. Often those dashboards and the KPIs that we're tracking do translate to some type of financial measure as well. And they're, you know, I think one of the convenient things in home health is that in a lot of cases, when we're doing what's right for the patient, 
and we are keeping the patient in their home, there is usually also a financial benefit, not just to the home health customer, but also the industry much more broadly. So when we're talking about best practices, what we're really talking about is both use cases. So what are the use cases that we want to leverage this core capability for? And then how does the organization think about adopting it? Who is adopting it? Like I mentioned earlier, what time of the day are they looking at this piece of technology? Where is that person currently in the organizational structure of the company? So we get a lot of questions around best practices and are these clinicians in the field that are using this capability? Are these back office people in the branch? Are these centralized employees? And so the reality is we have a mix of all of those implementations, but we are bringing to the table a perspective on which type of implementation typically yields the best return. So these are use cases that we see start resumption of care. In each of these cases, high and low, TIF risk review, loop of management, significant change in condition, gaps in care. Again, these are all use cases, but what we're wrapping around these use cases are experience as a vendor that we're bringing to the customer to say, this is what we've seen other customers be really successful with. And then how does that get standardized, right? So we employ multiple clinicians on our team. Those clinicians have, in some cases, more than 20 years of experience in home health. What I have found over the years, I'm a data guy. Most of the time, clinicians don't want to talk to me. They want to be talking to other people who have been in their shoes, who have run agencies before, who have run branches before, who have been with the patients at the bedside. And so in a lot of these best practices, what we will do as a part of this use case is we will develop with the customer a prioritization of, okay, these are the use cases that organizationally you're going to prioritize. How does that workflow work inside your organization? And so as a vendor, and again, this is all in the context of things that we believe are appropriate for you guys to be asking from your vendor partners. As a vendor, we will bring clinical expertise to the table to get to this level of granularity with our customers. So at the end of the episode, what are the steps within the product, then within the clinical workflow, then within your EMR, whether or not clinical decisions need to be made as a part of that process. These are the steps that we will actually walk through with our customers in an implementation. And typically speaking, this workflow, it will result in a standard operating procedure that is then published inside the organization. And so again, a big part of this is not just kind of understanding what the use case is, not just understanding now what the best practice is and where this should be implemented and who should be doing it, but then also I would say, what is the measure and level of, a, of accountability within the organization to follow this process? And so as a vendor partner, we will bring templates for each of these use cases, or often our customers will have S, like standard operating procedure SOP templates that we will then convert for each of, of these use cases as a part of that process. Typically speaking, this is where we will hand off. 
And so as a vendor partner, we will bring all of these things to the table. We will make sure that there's absolute clarity around what the technology is, what the clinical process should be, what the standard operating process should be. And then we will, let's say, hand that over to the organization, often to leadership and often to clinical leadership for that clinical leader to both manage and hold their team accountable. Often, in addition to that SOP and standard operating procedure and mapping out the use of the product, all of that almost always ties back to, okay, a configuration within the product to ensure that the way the product is being used aligns to the organizational policies and procedures, standard operating procedures of of the company. Let's make sure that we have our training deliverables and a training plan. And then we do that largely in um, partnership with, with the customer's leadership team. So the last part from our perspective is you have the technical capability. And in this case, we're talking about machine learning and how to leverage data. You have your standard operating procedure. You have alignment from leadership The team has been trained. The old adage is you can't improve what you can't measure, right? And so in addition, from Metalogic's perspective, our core competency really is machine learning and ensuring that machine learning is being adopted in the clinical workflow of an organization. That includes the SOPs that we discussed, but it also includes measurement. And so because we have all of the data from our customers' EMRs, We are able to measure, not only did you follow the standard operating procedure and the use cases, the way that we had defined, but when you do that, how is that impacting your business? So when way back when we were talking about this product in the sales cycle, we intimated to you as a future customer that you would achieve these benefits. It is our job to ensure that you have a visibility to that value and whether or not you're achieving the benefits that that we had discussed. And so a part of our products also, part of our services also, that are incorporated in all of the products are not just that core capability of machine learning, but the measurement around, are you doing what you're supposed to be doing with the capability? When you do, is your business improving? And I would think probably most importantly, where are your opportunities to improve? So where are the opportunities as a part of your clinical process where you didn't follow the operating procedure? And that's likely a training or a process issue that as a leader, you need to understand um, and that you can then address. So those, from our perspective, that really kind of rounds out the piece number one is, okay, what, what can you do with data from a machine learning perspective? But then number two just some practical examples about how you take machine learning and or other products that are in the space and incorporate them into like actual clinical workflow within an organization. So Elliot, just to kind of build on that, I mean, obviously that's where we're going to come in. So always good to work with you on these. And I think, you know, I saw years ago, we may have said Metalogics was a data science company and now the machine learning company. Maybe we'll have some time at the end to circle back on a little more thoughts on that machine learning versus AI and those types of things, but we'll get started. But I think, you know, one of the points you started off on obviously is take advantage of machine learning and, and then how to deploy it effectively. Right. So that's, I think a part, and then I think there's a part that 
you know, we talk about it in partnership like we have that is, okay, now how do we start really taking action with the people in the field on some of these things and what tools can be there? And the answer is, you know, you've got to really focus on effective automation. And, you know, I deliberately did not just put the words, you know, a lot of automation in there, rather effective, because I think when you talked about adoption, you know, it's the effective use of a tool, not just the sake of having it. And more and more, as talk about limited resources, that, you know, some of the resources that have to get limited at some point are your technology resources, because you just can't keep stacking it on top of each other over the years. And so we'll talk about that a little bit, but we'll really focus on two areas of that, one of which is interoperability. It's such a key component to everything that happens whenever you're talking about technology and partnerships there. And so we'll talk about interoperability as it relates to the industry and some of the things that you know recent industry studies have shown and in, in why it's effective automation, especially in the, in the lack of current resources, right, and how it impacts things. And then the second is really remote patient support. We hear a lot of terms for that kind of thing, but, you know, we hear virtual visits, we hear telehealth, and those are all components of it, right? You could be talking from anything about re- remote patient monitoring to just a phone call really can qualify under telehealth. So really, let's talk about a little bit about what remote patient support means in detail to help leverage the machine learning and the data that's coming out of this machine learning and, and take effect of it. Let's first talk about this term interoperability. We sponsored some uh, recent industry studies that talk about interoperability, kind of looking across different definitions of the word. And, you know, the HIMSS definition is the one that really came across. And it's the ability of different info technology systems and software applications to communicate, exchange data, and use the information that has been exchanged. I, I think really what you need to focus on is that last part that says use the information that has been exchanged, right? Uh, that is the part that I think we don't necessarily think about. It, it's, it's not a technical move of one data field to another data field. You'll see at the bottom of the screen here, it says interoperability is not equal integrations, right? Obviously, to work with our partners, Metalogics, we have to be able to share data with us. That's a minimum standard, but they then have to be able to take actions on it. And correspondingly, once we see the data, you know, our users have to be able to then take actions on that data to impact the patient care. And so this idea of interoperability is an expanded thought from, hey, do you you interface with this vendor? I, I pass GL information from here to there and it gives me a report, right? That is different than what we're really focused on today, which is the effective use of the information that has been transferred for machine learning purposes, for clinical intervention purposes, and those types of things. So that's really what we want to, you know, just start off as the starting block talking about that definition of interoperability and understanding. It's just not moving the data, it's then making use of it. So let's go ahead to the next slide. Let's talk about just the environment for remote patient support. I don't know how long and what the statute of limitations is to say post-pandemic, right? But everybody still seems to still apply. But there's a, just an atmosphere out there today that, you know, we've all seen statistics of how many people have had virtual visits before versus after and things like that. People are just now more used to the technology, more open to it than they were, say, you know, three years ago, three and a half years ago, whatever that time frame is now, it's getting longer. And, and then you have all these different federal government initiatives that have been in place 
for it. And, and then I think the big one that's really, we really see happening a lot now is that the government and the commercial payers just understand the need to get people to home. And they know if they put them home, okay, now we got them there, but how do we manage these populations? And so, you know, some of the machine learning that Elliot's talking about, about identifying rehospitalization candidates, right? That's a huge part of this and what we're trying to do. You know, in, in some of the industry research work that we did, 95% of the home-based patients and family, they want more modern means. They are used to it in their everyday life with other tools that they're using, and they want that in their remote patient support. The fortunate part is if you blend these two things, payers and providers who want to proactively keep track of populations and be able to manage them, man, it's a really good thing that people are in a place where they're willing to use that more. Right, because that's what's going to allow us to start to make an impact on population care. If we had a scenario where people were not going to do that at this point, then you're really now still talking about how not being able to do it in home. Right. So all these kind of things have blended together to say people want to be in the home and the technology exists to be there. But more than that, it's the willingness of the people to use those technologies that has really changed and will impact how you know that strategy of saying okay, let's blend this payer need uh, with managing populations with their willingness to actually participate in their care. So the key to this is, and some of these things is, if, if you identify, for instance, that a, a patient is ready for rehospitalization, potential a candidate for rehospitalization through using the machine learning tools, then we have to interact with them. We have to find some way to say we need to keep an extra eye on these people. And again, we need to do it in a way that we know everybody's resources are limited, right? So that's the piece that's very important about this. We've said that they're willing to now more so than ever, but we have to do it in what I refer to as an omni-channel way, meaning there's just not one way to communicate with somebody. The population at large is going to have a very capability list, if you will, from high to low, where some people's default is going to be, I still want a phone call, right? And other people's default is, I want to use secure texting, or I want to download an app and have access to all the history that I've had with you, or some education, or any of those kinds of, there's just this wide variety of capabilities that the people that you're going to need to help manage are going to be there. And this kind of omni-channel approach is kind of meeting the patient family where they're at, right? And whatever technology level they're willing and able to use, then you're able to address that. And the good news for us is that if we deploy these technologies to communicate with these people, to manage their conditions, to proactively react to their conditions in a way that meets them where they're at, they are very receptive to this. And the studies show that 97%, like it impacts the, the overall satisfaction of the patient tremendously. So you can see that 90% of patients and family caregivers say communication responsiveness influences their satisfaction. Well, as we get into the value-based payment and this then turns into revenue, you can see where this all blends in together, right? So we make that decision to say, okay, we've identified a patient. Now we start working with them using more advanced technology to proactively work with them. And our investment pays off because they're more happy about it. Right. And that's what the industry statistics show. And so it's just a major influence on that. Not sure if anybody you know, has gone through this in their own life, but certainly as somebody who has gone through caring for a parent from 300 miles away, going through the home health and hospice process, you can relate to these kinds of things. This is really where 
we're going to talk about that that technology and some real things that can be done to help start to leverage this machine learning, all the integration type of components that we're talking about. And again, the term telehealth or virtual patient care, you know, it's, it's a very broad term and it can encompass a lot of different things. But what I would encourage you to do is really think about what are all the operations that happen while you're taking care of a patient? And while your clinicians are trying to manage their day, right? They're out doing visits in the home. In the meantime, they have people who are texting them, right? My mother was notorious for texting the nurse and the nurse, well, the nurse was doing visits the entire day, right? So it's not going to be impactful. What we have to do is be able to say this, this omni-channel approach and then, you know, meet them where they're at and then consider all the different things that are happening. Right. So when you have, when you just start thinking about this and you say, let's take an example of a rehospitalization for a minute. And you say, okay, the machine learning tells you that, hey, this patient's a high risk for rehospitalization. So, you know, what choices do you have to, to kind of take care of that patient? Maybe you have remote patient monitoring where you decide to put in a device, right? And the device starts reading information right away off the patient, whenever they report that daily, and you've got that information, and that, that's fine. But when you look and say, how do I expand that to wider populations at a lower cost? Then you start having to interacting with them. So you've got this notification that they're a high risk. So what are your options? I mean, maybe what you want to do is you want to set up a communication, a proactive, maybe part of the SOPs that Elliot was talking about, is that for that type of patient, you're going to proactively reach out to them and try to find out what's your status today, right? Maybe it's some sort of quick customer. When we talk about forms right there, we're talking about maybe it's some way that all I'm doing is reaching out and saying to a potential rehospitalized CHF patient, have you gained more than three pounds this week? Or you, did you miss any of your meds or your ankle swollen? You know, those kinds of simple things that we can follow up with the patients very easily and we can find out proactively that, hey, if any of these things happen to be a problem right now, then we need to address them, right? And when we all of a sudden, so the process takes place in that the machine learning is triggering this, is triggering the population of who we should be working with. The embedded technology tools then are starting to automate processes that say, hey, if this is your status, then we do this. And so maybe you set it up so that twice a week they're getting this kind of questionnaire for you or you're asking how they're feeling or whatever, whatever process you decide is right for that type of patient. They're just happening. So we're now tapping in and saying, okay, because we have less resources, but we want to manage a larger population, we're going to do this in an automated way to get it out there. And then we're going to take action against those people who identify as you know, something that may create an adverse outcome based on their responses. And so, you know, so what happens at that point? It's gone out automatically. Maybe it's gone out by an email. If that's the patient's preference, maybe it's gone out via a text. Maybe you have someone looking at the list of people who are high risk and they, they call them because that's the preference. Again, this omni-channel approach to it. And, and that's all determined kind of in your patient onboard, right? So we've got this out there and then you say, great, well, what I need to do uh, we have a patient who's got a critical problem. And, and so maybe at that point, the right intervention is to video chat with them. 
Okay. And so uh, again, another action that you have it at, 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 you know, the ability to initiate now that a few years ago probably wasn't really that capable. If you look at the statistics on how many people can video chat today versus did three and a half years ago, it's significant, right? And so it's another option that's in your toolbox to be able to leverage at this point. And that allows you to take a proactive action that probably cuts off, you know, some sort of adverse event later on. You know, maybe at that point, you also find out, you know, that there's a medication that's needed, or maybe that there's a piece of equipment that's not functional. And, and you can then utilize these tools to schedule and coordinate delivery of what is needed to, to again, intercept that process of patient decline and start to take action on that through delivery coordination, right? Um, and, and there's so there, there's so many different examples of what you can do with this. And this stuff is, you know, it starts from complex management of diseases. But when you think about how do I reach these populations in large scale and get them to interact with me, we can't put a machine in everybody's home, right? We, we know we can't do that. But with the limited resources we have, can we automate the messages to go out, get some sort of notification back? And by the way, we don't have to do that for everybody. We can do that for the people that the machine learning tells us are the highest risk so that we can really focus in on that and, and start to really drive some of these technologies. So as you're starting to think about that, there's all these different tools that could be combined. What about patient education? If we can educate, if we can identify who's at risk for, say, a, a fall, and we can identify and educate them on those risks associated with falls through this embedded technology. And now we're going to be able to prevent falls accordingly based on that. So there's a nice correlation, if you will, to using these tools for preventive, not, not just acting whenever we see a potential adverse risk, but also acting in a preemptive way to try to stop those things from occurring to begin with so that we can keep them out of that kind of higher risk level that machine learning might identify them in. And we keep using rehospitalization as an example because it's obviously the biggest one that we're tackling, but there's multiple things that you talk about when you get into this, like maybe it's med compliance. It could be a potential issue. Maybe they live in a food desert and you've got a problem that way. Maybe it's a falls risk. So any of those things could apply. But you have to have kind of this platform and tell its point earlier, like this technology, you know, it keeps emerging. But with organizations, the whole theme of this is you know, doing more with less, right? You have to be able to take technologies and you may be looking at your environment today, listening to some of those suggestions and say, OK, well, I have this vendor that allows us to sign forms. I have this one that allows us to do virtual visits. I have this one that does HIPAA compliance, and this one that does education. And then you start to say, well, wait a second, how do I do this, right? How do I keep stacking these? And is there a way to consolidate some of these tools into more of a single platform and start driving that technology? And so that's really what we're getting at. But the whole process starts at the beginning with the machine learning component to help you identify who these people are. You deploy it in the right way to say, okay, here are our standards and operating procedures for what we do. And then you have this bank, this toolbox, if you will, of all these ways to start entering into these engagements with the patient so you can better manage a population. When we look at the different at-home models and we look at all, you know, all the different alternative payment models and those people who are going at risk in populations and you know, the different kind of ACO arrangements, things like that, and value-based care arrangements that people get into, it's all driven 
based on those kinds of things. And so, uh, you know, it's all driven on, on being able to do more with less and manage more people, but finding those people that you can have a definitive impact on. That's the whole purpose of the machine learning. And then the whole purpose of using these tools is to scale that out so that you can manage that population with much lower resources than we would have had to do in the past, which would have meant we need to go do a visit with them, right? Or if somebody had that problem that maybe we could handle via video chat with now, maybe we would have been sending somebody out for an after hours visit in the past. And so all of those things really come together to just align with each other and create this process that just feeds one from the other, right? And that's really what this platform kind of piece is and what this active, effective automation really focuses on. So really just to recap the conversation we've gone through, look, we know the future of home health is going to revolve around data-driven care. It's not just home health, by the way. I think I can safely say that's our lives, <laughs> is uh, being dominated by data-driven outcomes at this point. And the focus of the strategies that Elliot talked about and we talked about is how to execute those are really going to be how we take care of not only the patients and their families, but the clinicians that are taking care of them so that they can do it. It's just the hardest resource to find today. We have to optimize. And as we just continue to see that and we don't see the end to these constrained resources, it's these types of solutions that are really going to drive you into the future. That concludes the latest episode of the Post-Acute Point of View podcast. We have a lot of guests and topics coming up that you won't want to miss, so be sure to subscribe. To learn more about Matrix Care and our solutions and services, visit matrixcare.com. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you for listening. Be well, and we'll see you next time.